0: Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for
1: the Grouch Anthem? No,
0: no, no. With a Grouch Anthem, you stay sitting
2: down. Down in front, man. You should never let people see your car. When you bluff, when you call. I did not
0: rage, I flipped over the ace. I raked the check
2: through the pop.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 9 of Badoogie All-Stars. This is Tecmo Super Bowl. This is Nixon the Grouch. Uh, this is this will be part 2 of the Matt Flynn interview, right after we get done boring you guys with our normal BS. Um, so to
2: spark that, uh, what's going on with you, Bryce? There's I have nothing more boring to share than the fact that I've been playing PLO. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I had... I I'd sent some money to somebody on Poker Stars before Black Friday. Have you guys heard about Black Friday? Should we talk about that? Um, no? Which one was that? Is that where that's you can like get a Friday. lot of sweet deals? Like, right after Thanksgiving? No, it's the... Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, okay. I was gonna say it's a Friday in February in honor of... Never mind. <laughs> 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 anyway, yeah, so I I I have like $200 on Merge since so I've been playing 2-Cent, uh, 4-Cent PLO strict bankroll management, like I'm going to see if I can just grind it up into something significant. I've never really played seriously, studied the game, so I'm just trying not to overplay hands and just really stupid mistakes that I've been making so far, but yeah, I, remember, I mean, it's, I remember it's a hand an interesting You game, on the so.
1: forum. What's that? I said, I remember a hand you posted that you overplayed on the forum.
2: I actually didn't overplay it. I tricked <laughs> people into thinking that I thought that I overplayed it. I, I yeah, I think I spend way more time doing it than I need to, but I try and alter whether I think I played it correctly or incorrectly at random as I post hands, so that people are not like... If you're like, oh, I played this hand so bad, people are like, yeah, you shouldn't have done what you did, even if it makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. Sometimes I try and lead them in the wrong direction and see if they fall for it. They did not this time, except for you. Yeah, well, like, I don't know how to play PLO. <laughs> I don't understand why you were in that section. Stop yeah. following me. <laughs> but Uh-oh. yeah, so it's just a matter... I mean. I have a good idea of pre-flop and then post-flop. Like I have, like, oh, I have aces. I don't really know what that means. Like, w-, you know, like when should I just go along with it? How many outs do I have? PLO outs are funny, all of that. So yeah, I mean, you mentioned this, I think, in that
1: thread, but I think I think bigger than it. I mean, again, I don't know anything about PLO, but it it, it seems like a game where you really need to study equities and and just figuring out like, okay, if I have. If I have an overpair plus this draw, I have this much equity versus a range of this. If I have, you know, these two draws, it increases my equity by this much. You know, like, figuring that stuff out.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of back to when I first started playing Hold'em. Like, I had trouble posting hands because... I didn't even know what I didn't know. Like, it was really hard to say, like, oh, I got into a tough spot. The tough spot for me is, like, I start a PLO session, and the tough spot ends when I stop playing. Yeah. And I'm kind of confused the whole time. And any time that I think I know something, I probably don't know that. Where with Hold'em, you know, as right before Black Friday, when I was kind of playing my best, it was like, all right, I'm really comfortable up until the turn. And then I could look back at the flop and pre-flop. Should I have done something different to set myself up on the turn better? What else could I have done on the turn? And it was very specific. This is just, I get into a hand, and it's like, well, I guess I have to call because I'm getting two to one, and I have, you know, 13 outs, but I don't know how many of those outs are good. I don't know if I should have gotten to this point. So it's tough. So I'm, I'm trying to go through my database, just put some hands into Pro Poker Tools and say, like, oh, what would my equity have been on the flop? What if this was a, What if I had a flush draw? What if I didn't have the backdoor flush draw and try and get a sense of kind of where I sit with hands? Yeah. And it's it's tough. I mean, I'm not going to get coaching, but I I think it's just a matter of posting some hands and reading the forums and bothering people and yeah, either I'll know. get a sense of it or I won't. I mean, with rakeback, I'm up. Otherwise, I'm about break even, which is what I would hope for at this point.
1: Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, I mean, breaking even is a success at this point. Um, I think what what I would do if I was in your spot is record a video and try to get somebody to to watch it who knows something about PLO like, um, I guess Mitch or someone else. Um, we could. I've seen
2: it? Mitch's graph. I don't know if I want. To it
1: <laughs> yeah, he is two hundred and fifty
2: buy-ins below EV, wasn't it that? At least that. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's my thought. Is I think I'm trying just to get through where. Like when I know when I made a video when I first started playing hold'em, it's like, oh, you should have You know, you shouldn't play, you know, seven five suited in the small blind. Like it's like, oh yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. So I'm trying to get the really stupid stuff that I can figure out on my own out, and then when I just into stuff that it's like when I review it, I don't go, man, I'm just playing that so stupidly. Instead, of it's like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. That's kind of the point I try and get before I make videos, but that may be just because I'm paranoid about, you know, wasting people's time and. If they're gonna watch my video once, I'd rather be at the point that I'm. I think I'm as, I think I'm doing okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's almost like there's never a bad time to, to have a video, for, in my opinion, because I feel like if, it, like when when I first started playing Triple Draw and first wa- started watching Triple the Gold, it's like I didn't know anything, but it was probably good that I watched Triple the Gold before. Having someone watch a video because, like you said, if you're just horrible, then it's like kind of a waste of time. Right. But but uh, but, as, but I think as soon as you get a little competent, then I think having someone watch a video can sort of just speed up that that slow, painful part in the beginning. Um, and I'm uh, Schwig or I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Schweig uh, He watched. He I had him watch a video of mine. Once I was a little bit further along, and it was just like, he immediately fixed like five or six things, like it was nothing, and it was like, "Oh no, you don't want to play this in the small blind, uh, you know, tighten up here and do that here," and um, it was just immensely helpful. And had Black Friday not happened, I would have continued getting sessions. I would have. I was gonna say you have, if you'd showed
2: him one more before the event, he yeah, would have made money. Yeah, I think so. I honestly do
1: think that if, uh, if I could have kept playing and kept getting coaching, that I could have made the money. I honestly think that. Because there were definitely... I made some mistakes. Um, which cost me, like, a bet here and there, which adds up. But, whatever. Um,
2: not to needle you.
1: yeah, <laughs> Or exactly to needle me. Um, oh, yeah not,
2: yeah. not to gently
1: needle you. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, how's how do you know what the rake is
2: like down there? It's tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly like big blinds per hundred, but I mean, I have played. I have my database open. I have f- played forty six hundred hands, and I've paid thirty two dollars in rake. I don't know what the math on that is, but that seems really high. Yeah. So. I don't know either. But I mean, I have thirty five percent rake back because it's I got in just under the deadline with Carbon, so. That helps and I mean I think I'm gonna be paying horrible rake until like twenty five or fifty PLO based on like the math I've done. So there's it's not like if I moved up to five cent, ten cent and be like suddenly I'm out of the woods. Yeah, but, yeah. But I I was reading somewhere about like a fifty plus ten bankroll management strategy. If you have fifty buy-ins for your level and ten for the next, you can take a ten buy-in shot. Until you're down to fifty, and then you drop back down. So, is that for PLO specifically, or it was it was in a PLO specific thing? I think. I mean, hold them. You could probably be more aggressive. You wouldn't need fifty buy-ins. But yeah, I, think I was going to say fifty. Fifty seems to be the prescribed amount for PLO from what I've seen. So, I'm going to do that. If I get up, you know, I have ten buy-ins for five cent, ten cent. Take a shot. See how it goes. I can't imagine it plays differently. So it's just a matter of not running horribly, and I should be fine. Yeah. So well, I would not get coaching for Mitch on that. <laughs> um. Yeah. Or audio settings. <laughs> um.
1: So yeah. Uh, well, I haven't been playing online, although I do miss it and wish I could play. Um, I'm not sure if you guys can hear the my two dogs going trying to kill each other, but I apologize if you can. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm not playing. Online, much, but I am playing live. I went up to Delaware Park recently and played in a tournament. Just a, one of their, like, they have daily tournaments, and then every Saturday at noon they have a $150 buy in tournament. And I went up there with, like, this. I have, I've always had this, uh, I've always had a very taggish play style of, you know, basically just play tight. Uh, value bet, and then occasionally with my you know tight image bluff, but this time I was like you know i 'm going to try i 'm going to try some three barrels i 'm going to try some river bluffs and stuff like that, just spice it up and have some fun, and just see if I can get away with some stuff. Do you call this new style spew? Um, I do not. I call it Vanessa. <laughs> um, except I've I don't seen... know how to do it like Vanessa. So yes, I was say, it I've heard people spew. call it Vanessa
2: style spew. So yeah. then yes,
1: yes. <laughs> so if you can, if Vanessa style is spew and and you do it horribly, it's yeah, it's definitely spew. Um, so yeah, I was the first out among the three of my friends uh, that went up. And uh, yeah, that didn't work out. It tur- turns out that people don't fold, and it doesn't really matter how much you bet. So lesson learned is just go back to my tagish style and make even bigger value bets.
2: <laughs> yeah, I heard something that just live is changing, so people are actually... Not playing loose. No, that's not how it's changing. It's always been loose pass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my mistake. Yeah, yeah, I I was just hoping for my
1: sanity's sake to you know spice it up a bit and have some fun with some bluffs and. I mean, it's not. It wasn't a deep tournament by any means. So it was like, oh, I failed with three bluffs. I'm almost out. Oh, let me shove with King Ten. Oh, that guy called and a uh, shove from under the gun. With Queen Jack Offsuit And I binked binked The the Straight on the River Which uh, uh, Made his full house So (laughs) Sweet And I was like oh okay Well lesson learned And it's good because I On August 20th uh, Delaware Park has this Tournament challenge thing Called the Iron Man Challenge Where
2: Uh, if you play really poorly You win something And you've got a prize
1: Yes exactly (laughs) Um, so I'm perfectly set up. Um, no, it's, uh... It basically, it starts at 12 p.m. on a Saturday, August 20th, and it has very minimal breaks until it's done. And you start, it's a 500... 500- at 130. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did I mention it's a hyper turbo? <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, hour-long levels. You start with 50,000 in chips. Um... So it's like it's it's basically deeper than the main event, except uh the main event has two hour levels and not one hour levels um, and i just I just think it's gonna be a really really good structure if I can play my normal style, I think I can do pretty well it's five hundred and fifty dollar buy in um and like i said it's got minimal breaks it's like you go you play for like six hours then you get a dinner break for an hour then you play for six hours you get like a half an hour break then you play for another six you get a half an hour break and then it just keeps going like every six uh and and they have it until like the next day next afternoon um so that'll be interesting and smelly yeah Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, I'm wondering how many people are going to get to the point where just, we're just like, "eff it, shove," 140 big blinds, you know. Um, assuming we're still that deep, but it's it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to it because I obviously can't play that much poker these days, and this is kind of like a big event in my backyard. So, yeah, that's, that should be good. That's a, all
2: I got going on. I was gonna say hopefully it's not i don't know like playing that much live seems like it'd be really grueling if you're not ki- playing live poker very often just kind of mentally taxing and i, c- I know i could see myself after like 12 hours just checking out and just doing dumb things yeah you know? i mean i'm sure i can also a see myself doing dumb things just <laughs> playing my normal game but even <laughs> especially dumb things
1: yeah yeah i mean i'm sure that's part of the challenge i mean how much can you withstand and and you know can i w- will i be able to play
2: my b plus game you know 20 hours in so is there a strategy in like going and taking a power nap for 20 minutes during one of the levels yeah there might be i don't know <laughs> probably not short stacked but i would say
1: not short stacked yes <laughs> um that's what uh, Hellmuth did, right? Uh, in the setting the trap. In the, in right. the, is that in the main event where he overslept? Yeah, it was in the main event. He overslept uh, his day two. He didn't even... I mean, not so much overslept as did not know he was playing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Day two. Yeah. And, and they had to go wake him up. Mattisau had to like
2: get the convince the security guards to break in and be like, hey, idiot, you're playing today. I was watching the main event coverage and they were talking about it with him and he's like... Lon McCarron, he was talking about having security break into his room, and McCarron's like, "Oh, that sounds. That would be pretty scary." He's like, "Yeah, I, I, you know, it's down to this main blinds. He goes, "I meant security breaking your room, not <laughs> sleeping through day two of the main event." <laughs> that part apparently didn't phase him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, speaking of the main event, uh, they are down to the November nine. Um, I think, what Matt Giannetti... I'm not sure. I think he's a he's a pro, right?
2: Yeah, it's hard to tell. Like people call themselves pros, and I don't really know who is a pro and who is living at home and playing poker. Yeah. Like it's it's a little fuzzy, but it seems like I know I've seen screen names for at least a couple of the guys saying they were high stakes players, at least at one point. You know, I mean, if you were high stakes four years ago and then you know, games dried up and you stopped playing, I don't really know where that leaves you. So Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what the definition is, but it seems like a bunch of young internet players that have a pretty decent understanding of the game. Yeah, um, yeah. Phil Collins is apparently,
1: you know, I think is the one you're referring to as like four years ago played high stakes, I think. Or
2: well, I think Gianetti was up there too. I think oh, maybe he was it, kind of maybe like it was Gianetti then. But I think both of them were up there. I know Ben Lamb has been playing live, but I don't know. I think he was an online guy before that, from what I understand. So it seems like, I feel like I mean, they, maybe it's just because I've seen so much more play out of these guys than you ever see really during those edited Tuesday broadcasts. Yeah. I that's just true. feel like it's a pretty, for the most part, it's a pretty talented table. There's a couple of guys that I've seen do some kind of silly things. Um, there's that older guy from Belize, whose name I forget now, that just seems like he's out of place. Yeah. But. Um, you never know. I mean, that that could be the winning strategy against these other guys. But I, it just seems like it's pretty obvious what he has when he has a hand and that sort of thing. But overall, it seems like a pretty talented table. And I think as far as presenting poker as a skill game and all that sort of stuff, which I know maybe isn't the most important thing. TV poker is supposed to be about entertainment. But it is, I think, present putting forth... You know the right foot of poker that it's like it's a bunch of people that study the game and do well. It's not a bunch of knuckleheads that don't know what they're doing. And it's like, oh, I just love playing poker with my friends. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: yeah, I'm lo- I'm definitely looking forward to to the the November nine. You know, like every year.
2: But I don't know who you who are you rooting for? If only because I would like Phil Helmuth to lose Ben Lamb because the Player of the Year thing. It's just yeah. you look at. You know, Helmius World Series, and it's he plays every event that he's awake for, and (laughs) you know, and he he did okay. Like he didn't win a bracelet. He had a couple of second places. I think I don't, I don't remember if he had two. Yeah, three. Yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, he had a lot of final tables and all that, but Lamb won a bracelet. He's in the November nine. He really didn't play you know, he played less than ten events. I don't know the exact number, something like eight. But I think it's just a matter of that's the kind of World Series that is usually Player of the Year, not hey, you almost did something a couple of times. yeah, I think it's actually I mean, look at who's won it who's won it in the past? They always win at least a bracelet, if not two or three. Yeah,
1: it's it's actually very similar to last year's Frank Casella versus Michael Mizraki, where Mizraki won the 40k and then went obviously was in the November nine, um, and Frank Casella had the more more of a an you know above average consistent year, but didn't Frank win a bracelet?
2: He did, yeah. So that's the
1: difference. I mean,
2: and then to me, that to me, to win Player of the Year without having won a bracelet just seems a little funky. Like I get it. Part of it is I just, am, I can't stand Helmy with getting any more accolades than he already has because he talks about them so much, and I'm just so tired of it. Yeah, and I think I,
1: would, yeah. I think someone would, you know, the giant photo and giant banner they put. Some someone would have to tear it down. I mean. <laughs>
2: As if his head could get any bigger. Yeah, it 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 will literally get bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, I I mean, really, like, a lot of the younger guys, just watching them play, like, I mean, you mentioned Phil Collins already, that just obviously have a sense for the game, Um, Giannetti. um, Just any of them winning to me. I mean, Kata got branded as a luck box. Maybe he's more of a luck box than these guys. I don't really know. But just that younger internet guy who is competent in the game just, I think really just presents like a much better story than Jerry Yang who wins and then is gone.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Obviously. I mean, I have a rooting interest in internet, young internet player being that I am one, but, um, but like you said, just showing the, the skill argument, the, the fact that it's not just a Jerry Yang. I mean, clearly if one internet player wins the main event, it does not prove all of a sudden, because if that was the case, then one Jerry Yang win disproves it. Um, right. So, but it but it definitely helps, and I yeah, I'm definitely rooting for any of the young online guys, and specifically Ben Lamb for the reasons you stated earlier of um, widening the gap between him and Helmuth and the Player of the Year, because uh, Wasop Europe is now counting in that, and
2: so that could affect things. And you, I mean, and you know how Muth is going to play every one of those events now that, especially now that it matters. But yeah, I would think that Lamb is now going to as well, where he may not have otherwise, just yeah. based on the World Series schedule that he seemed to play. I mean, and I'm guessing he's more of a cash game player, and that's why he wasn't playing events. Not so much that
1: yeah, I mean, you know, from, he, from what I heard, he's he's finished like up seven figures in the cash games over the summer, and. Um, wasn't even going to play the 10K6 max, but I think Sean Deeb or someone else was saying that like they they were like, hey, you got a chance at this player of the year. It's kind of a big deal. You should do it. So, yeah, I think he'll definitely be playing the Europe events.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it, I think maybe it's just a matter of having the World Series coverage where they're showing actual hands for hours upon hours that I feel more interested in this final table than I have in the past. I've watched you know, the, the live coverage or whatever they've done streaming or audio. I don't even remember what format I was watching it in of the main event final table. But I always felt like I don't really have a sense of who's playing well and who's not because really I haven't seen anything up to this. I've seen what they edit for TV, which is like, you know, the big hands, but you kind of miss those little things where someone's picking up a read here or there or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you remember
1: the guy? I don't, I don't remember his name. He was, he was not American, but he had a giant chip stack Um, he was on the second dairy table, not the feature table. And I'm pretty sure it was when Negreanu and, um, Jean-Robert Ballon were on the feature table. Did you watch Mm -hmm. it then? I did. Um, there was a guy with he was like a chip chip leader going into the day. It was like, I don't know what day it was, day six or something. And, uh, and he just kept like making horrible plays and he just dusted it off and was
2: out before dinner break. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it was like a lawyer from New York? Is that the, right, the same guy? I don't know if you were paying attention to what I'm not sure. I don't remember, his, it was, it I remember was a, his name. It was a foreign sounding name, but Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the same guy. I can't remember his name either. But yeah, it was it, just to see it, instead of it being like edited like you know, you watched what's his name? I forget the name of the guy that was like the huge chip leader a few years ago and just went like from chip leader to nothing really fast and it's hard to tell what the edit exactly what happened. Yeah. But just to watch this guy kind of iteratively, like, just get into trouble over and over again.
1: Yeah, constantly calling, like, three bets out of position, then trying some, like, weird busted flush draw bluff that's always going to get picked off. Like, that was immensely entertaining to me. Um Probably not so much for him. Um <laughs> Yeah. But, uh yeah, like, the, right. the coverage At least he made the money. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> shut up. Uh, the, uh... I made the money in my heart. No. Okay. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know what that means,
2: but that sounds like something that losers say to their
1: <laughs> um, But no, I really, I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the coverage this year. It's been amazing. You know, kudos to ESPN and everyone involved um, because I think it's only going to grow from here. And... uh and like you said, it's really for us hardcore people. I don't. I don't know how many of the casual people watched it. I'm sure they like scan through it and watch a couple of minutes of it. Um, like there was one time, who was it? Uh, there was somebody that was tanking for like a solid ten minutes. Yeah, it um, was that.
2: It was Lamb, and I think it might have been Gianetti. Yeah, I think so too.
1: Yeah, I think it would. I think it was Gianetti, and yeah, it was Gianetti and Lamb, and La- Lamb was like betting with tri- trips like a 2-3 th- offsuit or something um, and uh, Gianetti had aces up and it, like it was just like to me and I'm sure many other hardcore people it was like captivating to like see him tank for this long it's you know it's the main event they're deep you know we didn't actually know what they had at the time because uh, they didn't show until uh, at the ends of hands but you know, that would have made it even better for me. Like, at first, I was like, oh, this sucks. They're not showing hands until the end. But then, when you have somebody like, uh, who was the... Uh, that was really good. Olivier Bousquet uh, mm-hmm. was commentating. And even Antonio Vendiari was doing a decent job. But Olivier was doing an excellent job. And uh, just, like, being like, oh, his range is this here. And I, he should be doing this. And I, I think this other guy's range is this. And then I think, you know, like sort of seeing the hand through Olivier's analysis and sort of putting your own analysis on it and then watching it happen and then finding out the results I thought was actually really really amazing
2: yeah it was and I think and like as Fendiari and I mean Helmuth to an extent just talking about physical reads like there was Helmuth was doing commentary at the feature table when John Robert was there and he was able to say, like, he's obviously much more comfortable now or at least projecting comfort more than he was three hands ago. And you can actually see the physical difference in how he held himself, where he held his cards, how he held his head, all these things. That if you're editing it for TV, they're going to blow through a lot of that and get to the turn and get to the river. Yeah, for sure. And so to actually be able to watch it in real time with people that understand the game. I mean, it was educational, it was entertaining. I think it's... I don't know how the average viewer feels about it, but they're still gonna do the Tuesday night edited-down version that everybody's used to, so... Yeah, and I think it's really... It's the best of both worlds, that you get this sense for the people that are really into it, they can watch. And if you're not into it, and you want that edited-down thing where everybody's all in ace-king versus queens, that's fine, but... Yeah, and I think actually... I know at least a couple people... Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, I think actually as poker television evolves, I think it's gonna sort of mesh and they'll still have the entertainment aspect i know a big thing in this year is going to be telling more of the stories at least that's what i've heard Uh, i think Mori eskandani um who's like the producer guy uh i think he mentioned that it's they're going to focus a lot on stories um because like partly because we've seen a lot of the action already you know not mainstream america or mainstream Uh, everyone hasn't seen all the hardcore stuff, but uh, they said that they're sort of going to focus on the story side of it and then also show some hands and stuff. But I think eventually it's going to merge to the point where, you know, you're going to have some high-level stuff. I think as a poker audience, it's like, I can't remember if it was on 2 Plus 2 PokerCast or what, but they were saying, like, you don't explain when someone's watching the NFL nowadays, you don't explain like, oh, this is a first down. Oh, he has 10 yards to go now, you know, and people just sort of eventually learn the rules. They eventually then learn strategy. And it's not like when you're watching the NFL, they're talking about in-depth strategy of like, this is a dime defense package with a, you know, but still it's certain, there's a certain level of intelligence. And I think if you look at poker television, You know seven years ago eight years ago it's funny because they're constantly explaining the rules they're explaining what the flop is but they don't do that anymore and i think you know as it evolves it's going to get even closer and closer to having actual analysis like uh olivier provided
2: yeah, it's funny cuz you watched the World Poker Tour at the beginning like you said it was really like and this is a, this is a spade. Yeah. Which, there's yeah. hearts and there's diamonds and there's clubs and there's spades. And it has kind of, you know, grown and they, they expect more of their audience. But I still think World Poker Tour is, you know, a world behind. You don't talk about ranges. It's still Mike Sexton you know, yelling cuz he went all in with top pair with, you know, 3 big blinds. Like Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's how it happens. Like I mean, I've equated it to, you know, the announcers yelling me if someone sent a man in motion in football. Like, it's really not <laughs> yeah. that noteworthy of an event. Yeah. But I think, you know, the World Poker Tour knows what it's doing, and it's this packaged TV thing. But ESPN is treating it like sports coverage, and I think that it's going to take a little while for people to adjust to it. Like, I don't think this is going to be the coverage of choice for the average viewer. But in five years, I think it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, not they're going to watch poker for nine hours, but even the way they showed the edited version will be a little bit more about strategy and not about, hey, somebody's all in again. Yeah,
1: yeah. I definitely hope it goes that way, obviously, because I'm part of the crowd that you know likes that stuff. But, um, but it's I mean, good that found, they're doing I, the, the other stuff as well for the general public.
2: I found this to be much more enjoyable to watch just because I felt like it wasn't as frantic. Like, I feel like watching normal ESPN coverage or World Poker Tour coverage is more like watching Sports Center. that it's just highlight after highlight after highlight, and you don't really get to, you know, take a breath and kind of pay attention to littler things that may be less important but are interesting. Yeah, and it just doesn't allow this, anything to build. Yeah, this hasn't had... I mean, it, it was a little slow in some places, but I felt like they kept it moving forward. The, the commentary was interesting, except when Helmuth was there, and when Johnny Chan showed up and started betting <laughs> cups of coffee about, you know, Did he like, make some, like, in sexist comments or something? I, I don't know. I couldn't hear over his shirt, honestly. I don't know if... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I just... It's just weird that I don't... You know, they're still bringing Chan on because people recognize him, but him doing commentary compared to, like, Bousquet was just night and day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It- Bousquet,
1: I think was on the poker cast and he just talked about how he really wanted to get into it and he it, it just did a phenomenal job. I mean you, to really sit there and think about it like you're going to commentate on live poker. You know, you, you know how much space you have to fill like that's ridiculous and it it was it was like you said slow at times understandably but very interesting. So
2: and I think they did a good job of balancing using the terminology with also explaining it from time to time. Like, they would talk about, like, a bluff catcher, and then either, you know, Tuckman would ask, or he would say, and by bluff catcher, you know, I mean this. And he would explain it in a way that sort of makes sense. It's concise if you already know what it means. But if you don't, you're like, oh, I get it. I see what he's saying now. And then he can keep talking, you know, in terms of ranges and bluff catching and all that stuff that's really interesting. Yeah. But he's not leaving people behind. And like you said, it's, you don't explain you know, why this guy is doing this, but you're also not constantly talking about running a slant defense in TV coverage. And so I feel like in some ways the poker coverage is more strategy based than average sports. And so, you know, some education balances that out pretty well. Agreed.
1: And in other news, um, Bluff Magazine uh, throughout the entire World Series was holding a contest for various Pieces of crap, Um, (laughs) like uh, um, bluff T-shirts and like ten dollars on lock poker, which I don't even
2: know what lock poker is actually. I think it's a a a skin on merge. I think. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. And then there was like poker view. Yeah, poker view is the one where you like get to see everyone. Yeah, which I guess is like maybe like if you lose the hand, you have to look at your opponent as punishment. Because I don't, I don't know. I don't see how that's like a. An exciting thing. Yeah, I mean, I get. I it, to me, Poker
1: View is like one of those ideas that you're like, oh yeah, you know, we should do it online, but have it like live, so you get all the benefits of online, but you still get to see the people live and, and do that. And then, as soon as you start thinking about it for real, you're like, no, nah, that's stupid.
2: <laughs> to me, I think it. My first thought was that is chat roulette combined with internet poker, and that does not sound appealing to me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Just it sort of reminds me there was that gay poker site that was like, it was poker for gay people and that straights didn't play. And it was like, it's a really funny idea, but it doesn't actually make sense to implement this idea. Yeah. Like, hey, we should do poker with webcams. Yeah, that'd be cool. Did, and that's about where it ends for me.
1: Did the gay poker site, did they like really like get excited on rainbow flops and stuff and... <laughs> Yeah, that, you
2: know, I never heard that one, but that's pretty good. No, yeah, they were. I they advertised on something that I listened to, and like it came up a couple of times, and it was like, really, like there's a there's a group of people thinking like, man, you know who really can't play internet poker? <laughs> is gay people. Yeah. like
1: I don't understand how that's like your niche market, but
2: I mean, I guess I, I guess it's kind of saturated, and you're trying to carve out your area where there's nobody else, and no one else is specializing in that. Yeah, I don't know. It's dumb. Um, I'm going to start a poker site for people who are left-handed, and the flop deals out (laughs) right to left. (laughs) Everyone's like, finally! This makes so much sense!
1: (laughs) Um, Anyway. The thing is that that idea, like, lefty poker, like... I'm going to go buy the domain before this comes (laughs) out. (laughs) Um, You should get Phil Milkison to sponsor it. Um, But, like, that that's an idea like, that's very similar to these, and, like, it got all the way to actually happening. But... Yep. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, the contest, I don't think many people knew about it, because uh, <laughs> if you submitted an entry... Like, basically what they did was they had... Uh, you would have to retweet one of their tweets about, like, they would say, oh, hey, uh, Jimmy Joe just got eliminated, uh, and this would, this happened in the main event. And it was like, oh, retweet one of our tweets, so you just retweet that, and then that would enter you in that contest. Another part of the contest was um, they took pictures, and they had a caption contest. Now, when they say <laughs> caption contest... <laughs> I'm not really sure what the parameters were, because they would post these photos on their Facebook wall, and 20 to 30 people or, or less sometimes would come up with responses and, and captions of their own. Um, you and I were regular contributors and came up
2: with what I thought were some excellent captions. Um yeah, I actually a couple times didn't enter because I felt like all of the good jokes were taken, not knowing that the people judging it don't understand what good jokes are. Yeah,
1: and this this is a heated topic for, for Bryce and I because we actually did put effort into these captions to sort of come up with something creative and funny. And At we, least as much effort as we put into this podcast. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, we... we we tried, you, you, if you can still go on and you'll see the, the caption contest for yourself. Um, I don't know, we participated in most of them. Um, one in particular was uh, somewhat uh, jarring, to say the least. Uh, it's, uh, let's see, July 12th. Uh, I don't know if anybody's actually going to go through the trouble of looking this up, but...
2: July. I, I'll try and remember to tweet a link to this when I put out the... Uh- The announcement about the podcast so you can see
1: so July 12th at 5.20pm they posted a photo of a girl sitting on the rail at the Rio assuming, I'm I'm guessing, watching her boyfriend um, and she's sitting there and she's uh, knitting uh, like a sweater and she has her iPad and her purse and she's just sitting there, Indian style uh, just kind of like chilling and uh there were 35ish something responses and a you know a lot of the really good ones uh like the ones that i uh i thought were great uh ha- involved you know she was knitting so they brought in the knit thing i think here i'm looking at it right now it says uh you know yours is what a knit you know spelled k n i t which you know Subtle subtle humor stuff it, I think it's important To spell it K-N-I-T I agree um, You know Someone else said I'm knitting it up here With a tutorial On how to play poker That's pretty good We thought You know That was decent
2: There was uh, another one About make, About that she was Knitting a sweater For Dario Minieri Which I thought Was pretty funny Yeah where is Cause that Because he always Has that Harry Potter Sweater that he wears Or whatever yeah
1: Yeah <laughs> Um it's yeah it's like Dario 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 can't you just buy a new scarf um and that was decent you know and then you said oh it looks like someone got a timeout for needling and It's like, ah, oh, but um, am and, you know, it's, I mean, it, obviously it's not hilarious, but it's, it's exactly what a caption contest should be. Um, Clever and sort of humorous. And my favorite uh, was the one you came up with was the expression is sweating, not sweatering, <laughs> which I thought actually
2: was pretty funny. I, I was pretty proud of that one. I have to, sometimes when I type things, I laugh at them. But. <laughs> So, you know, and then... Uh, no, and then you had the one about that, sh- that sh- she was practicing for the seniors event, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was, we had, a de- you
1: know, decent ones, we thought. And then the the one that, uh, oh, what was it? Yeah, we actually joked, because this wasn't the first time that, like, a bad winner was chosen. So I'm pretty sure this is the one where I said, you know, this contest is judged so poorly that this is the one that's going to win. If this guy thinks I'm sitting here for 8 days only to have to come back in November to watch him at the final table, he is freaking right. Go baby. That's it. That's one of the ones that won. <laughs> and I I jokingly said, this is what the, I jokingly said to Bryce, this is going to be one of the
2: winners, and it actually and won. The, and then we both laughed because how could that win? And then the other one that won, they picked two winners for this one. Was soda, knitting, computer, loads of people, I don't know, mm, just like home. (laughs) I don't even understand what happened. Like, I I understand that I think I am funnier than most people think I am. That's okay with me. But there were other jokes in here that I didn't write and that you didn't write that made me laugh. And then there were these. Yeah. it was... I don't understand. Like, if it's just... I want to read it again. It wasn't just random. I want to read it again.
1: Soda, knitting... Computer Spelled wrong. Uh, loads of people I don't know, mm, just like home. That
2: one. My my first question, though, like, besides how did that win, where does this person live? <laughs> where are there loads of people you don't know at your house? Like, <laughs> I don't understand.
1: <laughs> I, I don't get it. So, like, you know, it wasn't even about the prize. Like, that's the thing. We, we didn't mention, like, you know, it, it was a lot of cheap prizes. I think... We, I did, we did a lot of retweeting. We, we, we didn't win any of this. What were the other things? Oh, trivia. They had like a daily trivia thing and you would just, um, everyone would respond, or you know, who everyone who responded with the correct answer would be put into a thing and then randomly drawn. Someone would win that. And so they were like, I don't know, there was like 10 winners every day. And... There was probably like thirty people playing.
2: <laughs> so Yeah, if there were ever a day that you, me, or T J didn't win, I felt like something had gone wrong in the contest. Exactly.
1: Like you, me, or T J always won. And um what it did was you'd either win a bluff T shirt, the ten dollars on poker view, a ten dollars on lock poker, I don't know, like uh, a half eaten popsicle, like various things. <laughs> and uh, A book of knock-knock jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> A book of computer load knitting jokes. Um, <laughs> and Knock-knock, uh, who's there? Freaking go, baby.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so the prizes weren't that great. I mean, I think I ended up winning, like, four Bluff shirts and, like, $20 on pok- lock poker or something. But... They haven't even given those out yet. It's such a mess. Um the real thing was you were entered into if you won a prize, you were entered into a weekly drawing to win an iPad. That's the one that actually mattered. Um and uh congrats to TJ. He won he won possibly the first one that was given out. Um and in theory, let will see if he gets it. Yeah, but that's the thing. This this contest was run so poorly. Um what's what's the, the... Lance Bradley. Lance Bradley seems like a really cool dude um on twitter and is funny i like him but whoever's been running this bluff magazine contest is an idiot <laughs> <laughs> um, just as far as not not only judging the caption contest but just running it like i don't know if they what they expected but they said whenever you would win a prize they would dm you on twitter and be like hey email us at i don't know what it was like support at bluffmagazine.com um uh, with your name, your address, and something else And and uh, Tell us, you know, that you won or something And I did this like three or four times And over the course of a few weeks Never once got a response And so finally and To their credit, they never said repl- they would reply They just told you to do it That's true, they didn't say they would reply But, you know, if someone says, hey, email me you kind of assume there's going to be something on the other end, but uh so i I finally i, I would I was frustrated, so I uh, tweeted at Lance Bradley I was like hey I don't know what's going on with this contest, but uh you know can can you give us an update on the prizes you know when that's going to happen and he's like oh that's that'll happen at the end of the World Series." And I was like, oh, cool, thanks. And he was actually, he responded in, like, two minutes. So I was like, oh, sweet. Oh, thanks a lot for responding. Uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, one other thing, you know, if if you guys aren't giving out the prizes or even replying until the end of the World Series, might want to tell some people that. <laughs> um, and so clearly he then, whoever runs the Bluff Magazine Twitter account, uh, Lance must to contact them, like, as soon as i requested him to 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 say something because 10 minutes later bluff tweets oh to all our prize winners you know we will be replying once the world series is over and like i don't know that's a pet peeve of mine communication um if if you aren't going to respond in a decent amount of time i just think it's really rude and um you know, for them to just say, hey, email us, and then never say anything back, uh, I, I don't know. It, like I said, pet peeve of mine, I don't know. It goes a long way just to say, hey, we'll get back to you at the end of the World Series.
2: We'll see if you wear your four Bluff t-shirts with pride. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, I don't. Even, yeah, honestly, I don't care about the Bluff t-shirts at this point. I don't care about any of that crap. I just wanted the
2: iPad. But uh, I wanted the shirts. I, I was, if I got the iPad, I was going to see if I could trade it for nine dozen shirts. <laughs> Um. But yeah, that's I just we
1: had to talk about the bluff contest because that was just so ridiculous to us.
2: Um, yeah. Uh, but speaking of things that are not ridiculous, maybe we should uh, go to the inter- the rest of the interview with Matt Flynn. Yeah,
1: I definitely agree. So uh, up next will be part two of the the Matt Flynn interview. If you haven't heard the first one, uh, check it out. at uh, Episode eight. It, you know, we just kind of cut it right in the middle, so. Uh, you might want to listen to that one before listening to this. But it's uh, very good stuff on live poker. Uh, so check it out.
0: Well, that's the whole thing. It's kind of interesting. Poker is, a, you know, you strive to get better and play well and learn the game and control your tilt and do all these things. And in the end, someone like that is not going to do as well as someone who can find two, one or two people to play with who just spew money. Yeah um, so that's your biggest strategy is to try and find people who just give it away. I got into one of those situations at the Bellagio um, in the middle of the week I was there in Vegas and I, um, the, the first I put my name on the 102040 and the 1020 list and walked over the 510 and uh, got into a 510 game and after about um, I'm playing there about an hour and I haven't been called for the other games and this game is just super tight. And everybody, nobody had gotten up or moved or done anything, and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't need to be sitting here. And I stand up, and I look over, and there are three other tables of 510, and I use my very standard stock technique for figuring out which is the best table to be at when, you know, I don't know any of the players. And that technique is just count the number of people drinking alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and this is highly effective, I mean, very effective. So I find one with three, and then, you know, the sex, so this is one thing, is if you're in a bad table, change tables. Go play 2-5 in a good game. Don't spend your life playing 5-10, sticking it out with a bunch of tight players. Yeah, you may be able to beat the game. doesn't matter. You're wasting money by not changing tables in a situation like the WSOP at the Bellagio, where you have lots of options. So the next thing is I go up and I say I want a table change, and the guy just kind of doesn't pay attention to me. And so I pull out a $5 bill, and I just – no, I pull out five ones actually, because you know, I'm so sorry I don't have a $5 bill. Uh, here and I kind of, you know, loosely stuff with the bills into his hand and say, can you switch me from this table to this table? Now, getting switched tables quickly is worth a lot more than $5 if you're going to continue playing. And I think that's another thing. Just tip your 4 staff if you want them to help you in a situation like that. Three minutes later, and I told him, I want to sit at that table because I've got a friend of mine over there and I want to play with him. And he's like, oh, sure. Three, five minutes later, guy walks over, taps me on the shoulder. We have a game over here for you, sir. I'm like, thank you so much walk over and sit down in, in the one seat. Um, so just, just as a thought for people who go to these major tournaments, just think about how much expectation I improved going from a really nitty-tight table and just switching tables. And then it turns out that I had a famous player from London in the nine seat that no one's ever, ever heard of. And this guy, the, the hand, the, the first hand, one of the first hands I saw went like this. Um, guy who eventually proved to be a complete supernet raises to 120 in a 510 game. Snap call by the guy in the 9 seat. Flop comes ten little little, four hundred dollars. Snap call. <laughs> Turn is a nine. All in for twelve hundred. Snap call. River whatever. Guy turns over kings and the guy in the 9 seat shows a busted gut shot straight draw. Wow. Other draws, right? So I mean, this is like oh, this was such a good table change. Wow. <laughs> it's just a change. So I was there for four and a half hours. I lost fifty-five hundred.
1: <laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> that
0: worked. <laughs> he probably deserved it. The guy went through $15,000, 1500 at a time. And uh, I was talking to one of the other players from London who was in the game, and he's been doing this for a couple of years in London, and he's basically bankrolled all the mid and high stakes professional poker players there. Um, and there's nothing. That, and, and So first of all, you know, you want to make sure this fellow has a good time because he knows full well that he's blowing 15000 um, you want to respect this guy because he's, he's got so much money that he doesn't care if he blows fifteen thousand in a five ten game, which I don't know any poker players like that. except you know, not personally at least. Yeah. And uh, you know, I know, players have made a couple million dollars playing poker, but no one with that kind of money. Um, and then you know, you realize that playing in a game with a person like that is worth more than being any good at anything. Just, just some thoughts from for those. Uh, I know there's a lot of people moving out from internet to live poker, and those are some things you want to get good at.
1: Yeah, th- definitely. Uh, I-, I love the tip about um, tipping the floor staff when switching switching uh, seats and everything like that's the kind of stuff that I don't know anything about. Like, actual like strategy is like one thing. Like, I think a lot of people know the strategy of playing poker, but. Live poker has so many other facets to it, and like you said, I would have never thought to tip the floor staff when uh, asking for a, a, a table change or anything like that.
0: Yeah, um, and you can, be, you can be mercenary about it, or you can be generous and just thinking of the floor staff they appreciate the tips. This guy, or you can be and Say this. Look, this guy's going to remember that I appreciated what he did, and he's going to help me out. And, you know, who knows, I might get bumped up the list later. You, just, you never know what good things are going to happen. But if you think about it as a $20 or $25 investment over the course of a week at the World Series, it's worth a lot. And another thing, and this is really dumb, it's small, but a lot of people play 1-2 and 2-5 and, and this and ask for food comps, right? You sit in there for playing for four hours before you leave, ask for a food comp. And this, this is particularly true at the Rio, because they don't track the players' cards. Um, so at the Rio, at the end of the session, you just walk up and ask for a comp, and the guy, you know, tip the guy a couple bucks, he'll give you $10 or $20 in food comps. Well, now you're you, up to I, I
1: don't mean to interrupt you, but who do you ask for that? Foreman. any floorman. Okay.
0: Yeah, and it pays to just, you know, ask kind of the same guy or know two of them, and just make sure, and then when you walk in, oh, hey, John, how you doing, what's going on? You know, I mean, just... Those guys have a tough job. The dealers have a tough job. They appreciate people being nice to them. They appreciate people remembering them. And, you know, they have comps to hand out. So don't forget to ask for those. It may only be $50, $60 bucks at the end of the week. But those things add up, especially if you're, you know, a lot of people are going to World Series. The hotel bills are enormous. It costs a lot of money to be in Vegas. And it's just one of those little things. Um, the other trick I'll say is that if you're going to Vegas for the World Series, you should uh, definitely stay at the Gold Coast. I think that's the place to be. That's the name of it, right? Yes, yes. Gold Coast. Yeah. Tom told me what he paid for his hotel room, and I was like, if you sat there and you offered me 50 bucks a day to walk to and from that twice, I would take that money in a heartbeat. So it's completely worth it for me to just stay in the hotel next door.
2: So yeah. here's the funny thing about that is Tom told me he's like man I guess we should, I should have stayed in the Rio cuz I got to keep walking across the street. And I'm like it's like, <laughs> I'm like it's like you're you're saving like 10 bucks a walk. Like is it worth it? And he's like I guess so. So
1: yeah, yeah, well I was I was originally thinking because we were constantly making that walk like maybe two or three times a day and I don't know if anybody's ever been to the Gold Coast pool but <laughs> yeah. it's, The Gold Coast pool is pretty much like a puddle. And some people splashing around in it. Um,
0: well, I think you have just described the difference between forty dollars a night and eighty dollars a night in Vegas. Yeah, okay. there is your difference, and you you got to make your own internal choice whether that's whether. Do they have two queen beds in your room? Yes. Okay, so the only cheap rooms that you can get at the Rio are king beds. Oh, okay. So unless you're close with your buddy, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, then you have those additional savings, and it's actually cheaper if you have two guys who do not want to share a bed or hot racket. Um, you, you stay over at the Bellagio with the poker rate and it's actually cheaper um, and the Bellagio has plenty of games and I think the games at the Bellagio were better um, they certainly were better in 510 and in the 102040 game. 40 was there were no games above 510, no limit at the, at the uh, Rio, there was occasionally a 1025 that would go and it was always terrible so there was no reason to be there for those stakes um, and uh, just, just you know, something to think about for people who are coming out next year
1: Okay. I'm going to have to ask you to define hot racking. <laughs>
0: oh, uh, hot racking. That's a Navy term when uh, a bunk is shared by more than one person. So one guy sleeps in it, has this 12 hours where he can sleep in it whenever he wants, and then the other guy sleeps in it the other oh, I got you. 12 hours when they're on. You, know, and just, you, you can do it that way. Another thing I'll, I'll point out, and these, these are just soft skills as you move to live, but um, you really, especially if you're playing you know 5,10 and higher games or you might be walking around with several thousand dollars in your pocket, you really should be more aware than many people are about the risks of doing that. Because anybody there can spot you buying and pulling you a lot of hundreds out or spot you cashing out. They know you have enough cash, um, which there are many, many people in this world who will rob you for 500 bucks and knowing you have 6, thousand or whatever it is, Um, really makes you a target, and so you need to be thinking about these, especially as you go to parking lots, even going out to valet. Um, There's a lot of security around the World Series, but walking from the Rio to the Gold Coast um, is a good opportunity for someone to take that money from you. So it's just another thing to think about and put in your equations, um, because I think a lot of people are just oblivious to it. Yeah, certainly don't observe good hygiene. You don't want to be in a restaurant, pull out a huge lot of bills, you don't want to go counting out money to someone outside. Just basic, basic stuff that all the old school people um, just did
1: by rote. Yeah, I, I got a safe deposit box at the Gold Coast for that reason, um, and um, I try not to have much cash on me at all. <laughs> Do they have little plastic keys? They have metal keys. that kind
0: of thing? You had like like a... A little shelf with some bottles <laughs> <on it.
2: laughs> next to the puddle. <laughs> um, it actually was, it was a, a safe a, deposit yeah. cardboard box. Yeah.
0: <laughs> actually, it's,
1: it's,
2: it's, it's Mattel. It says Mattel on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh, Elmo was the person there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. If you, if you could play the notes to the theme song in Sesame Street, it opened right up. <laughs>
0: that's excellent. Uh, I'll have to send Tommy over there.
1: I'll be able to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, I was like, oh, man, I should have stayed at the Rio. But, but then when you think about it and you say, oh, if you walk for a quarter of a mile, would you do that for 10 bucks?" And if you say yes, then you should definitely stay at the Gold Coast.
0: If you haven't been at the Rio, you're going to walk a quarter mile anyway.
1: Yeah, that's I think true. that's
0: the minimum distance between a hotel room and the poker tables are about a quarter mile. So. Yeah, I
1: think, think Tommy even measured it out in one of his blogs recently. Um, it and he, he was uh, he was walking a, a decent distance. So, And what we ended up doing was we just went to, when we wanted to go to the pool, uh, we just went to the Rio pool. Um,
0: nice, yeah, the Rio pool's nice.
1: Yeah, as long as you have a total rewards card, you can get in there. So uh, I definitely... Definitely recommend the uh, Gold Coast if you want to stay on the cheap because I think after uh, I stayed there for oh, seven nights, I believe it was, and Bryce came and stayed with me for, what, Thursday, Friday, S- three nights? nights. Yep. Um, I ended up paying something like $31 a night. Oh,
0: that's outstanding.
1: Uh, yeah. So definitely worth it. Uh, but yeah, uh, did you have anything else,
2: Bryce? No, I mean, I was going to ask about live poker, but I think we kind of got into that. Like, it's a lot. I mean, the strategy of it is pretty well defined, I think. Like, the idea of adjusting to your table and not coming in with your uh, 6% three-bet stat and all of that. But things like tipping the floor stuff seem a lot more profitable than anything I would have asked about. Yeah, we got into that.
1: Those are amazing tips. Uh, I definitely uh, enjoyed that.
0: I'll, I'll just throw in this last bit here is I actually think you your typical person who comes in, and some of these are identified. Now, I've, I've played on the Internet, and I've played more live just because I simply prefer it. I find it more interesting to see people, and the games that I normally play in are more home games, which are far more entertaining than your typical casino games. So you go to be entertained and be part of the entertainment as well as just play. Um, but I think there are other mistakes that, that uh, someone who is reasonably good at the Internet who can you know beat one too handily or uh, beat a higher stakes than that coming in, they, they tend to make um, at those games, and they may be costing, especially if you think, you know, I'm, I can beat 2-4 online, so, and, you know, everybody on, on like, the 2-plus-2 two two forums, and, oh, that's like, you know, twenty five fifty live, and the answer is no, it's not. Once you get up into those, especially above five ten, you are facing people who can really read your body language and who can adapt to how you're playing, and these are very important things. So it's, it's just, it's just kind of interesting.
1: Um, Good to know. I, I think uh, another tip that I thought of while you were explaining that uh, is don't be the guy, if you're, especially if it's a home game, but even, even if it is just a one-two game at your local casino, don't be the guy who just shows up in a hoodie and is quiet and does nothing. Like, I, I found it's far more profitable to be social um, and people are much more willing to make loose calls and do crazy things against you if you're not the internet guy who's just quiet headphones and isn't doing anything.
0: Yeah, there's two things about that. One is you're going to enjoy your time a little bit more. And two is, you know, you're, you're, the things that you said, also players who maybe they're more recreational are going to feel more comfortable, might want to stay and play a little bit more. Uh, it can get you called a little bit more often. There are several things, and, and sitting there with your hoodie and your headphones is probably not the best way to appear at a poker table. Um, I actually bought Hawaiian shirts for the World Series two years ago, and I sit down there, and the first two or three days, I wear my loudest Hawaiian shirts until I <laughs> knows who I am, because you get called more when you have a big hand when you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt. It's part of the deal. It brands you a tourist, you know, and and then I'll say, oh, you know, I'm from North Carolina, where are you from? And just, you know, I mean, it's
1: just, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm a tourist, <laughs> tourist big T above my head blinking. Because um, <laughs> that has its advantages. And then what happens is people will try to bluff you. And then you just be ready and you pick them off. Um, so that's, you know, one of the things you think about how people are going to react to you and how you, how you react back. Um, I think what's even worse, though, which I didn't see a whole lot about, it, is, is just talking about hands at the table. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing to do. It's just on so many levels, and that's that a lot of people just need the discipline. They're used to talking about hands while they play, probably with someone else helping them as they're playing on the net. Uh, live setting, it's just best to not talk about hands. Don't ask people what they had. You know, Don't say, well, he raised, so I re-raced, I did this. Don't show your hand for just about any reason unless you're a super nit and you finally want to show a bluff. But these are these are soft skills that will help you a lot. Because when you talk about like, just to give you an example, someone sits there and talking very honestly and intently about how to play of the hand, they're they're immediately telling you what their skill level is, and they're telling me a lot about how they play. And this is particularly true in in say two, five, five, ten games, but it happens at the upper levels as well. You're just giving me a huge advantage. You know nothing about me, and I now know that you don't bet your draws really hard or whatever piece of information it was. So these are the kind of things you want to think about. Um, if you're trying to impress people, you're probably leaking.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of a time when I played my first ever tournament at the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City. Um, and I, can, I laugh at it now because I, there was a, I was nervous, I didn't know what I was doing, I sucked. And I, I remember a guy to my right asking me something to the effect of, oh, what would you have done there with King Jack? And I just like was like, oh, I would have done this, 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 and this, and, yeah. and and I was just like spewing information. And I look back on it now, and I was like, wow, just a simple question of what would you have done there with this got me to say all kinds of stuff. And you know, it's it, it's a tactic I don't really use, but um, it's something to be wary of that you don't like you said, give away free information.
0: Bryce, did, tech, did uh, Tom there sound like T Pain for a while to you? <laughs> <laughs> is it my side or is it just? Is it? Are, are we having this in the recording or is this? Uh, I think you it, know. I'm, I'm waiting for Tom to sing. I'm on a boat here.
2: <laughs> I've been waiting for him to sing that for a while, but not because of anything related. But just <laughs> so you, you <laughs> you're not recording. You sing. No, anything? no, I sounded fine to me.
0: Okay, okay. So it must be on my end. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Now, another thing is when you moved to live, I mean, people are going to do things to you uh, to try and get information out of you that you may not be used to, right? And the, there's the dumb ones like, do you want to chop? And then there are smarter things like, um, you know, uh, what do you have at hand? You know, let me know, tell me in this and try and get a read, or uh, um, how many bills do you have there? And a, you an know, interesting thing. How many, how many bills do you have there? And the guy says 1,600, and you say, oh, 1,300? And, you know, just just those little kinds of things. There's all little ways you can kind of get at someone to see if they give you, you know, are they they honest? Do they sound honest? Do they sound concerned? Are they looking a little tense? Um, Another thing is that, uh, this is just like classic, someone who's not used to playing live, who can handle chips a little bit but not really used to playing live, man, when they raise and they have a big hand, they raise in early position, they have a big hand, meaning aces or kings, they just get furtive. I mean, you see all sorts of, you know, glances and looks and not, and just, I mean, sometimes it's astonishing that you think it must be faked. This is a 20 game that's got to be faked, and yet it's just there. So you want to just try and be as natural as you can, which means you want to practice doing things the same way. And the best strategy is to just be still and shut up until you know what you're doing in a live game. And then, you know, gregarious people talking during hands and all this It can go very well for you if you know how to do it well, but until you do, your best strategy is to just sit up straight, be still, put your feet on the floor, all the things that that Tommy talks about a lot because they just make you that much harder to read.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, It reminds me again of of a time I was recently up in Atlantic City and a guy raised under the gun and was kind of shaking when he threw out his raise, and another guy re-raised him and... He was just, sh- and he he wanted to re-raise again, and he just he just threw out some chips because he couldn't get a hold of him, and he was like wow. just trying, trying to like decide how much to bet, and he just couldn't, so he just threw out some more chips, and the other guy eventually like flat called or something, and I was just like, what are you, what are you doing? This guy clearly has aces, and then yeah. at the end of the hand, I mean, obviously it went bet flop, uh, bet tiny on turn. And then check, check, river, because everyone sucks at value betting the river in live. Um, And then he flipped over aces, and I, like, looked at the guy, and I was like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) I mean, what are are you doing?
0: (laughs) Sometimes they do put up the neon sign. You know, you're not going to see that that often in the higher stakes games, but uh, sometimes they put on the neon sign. And as you're making that transition, you know, again, another thing you really want to concentrate on um, betting speeds, which from the internet, that's one of the big and only tells on the internet, other than, you know, you have the huds and the stats on the hands, but how fast do you bet your chips? Um, because a lot of people when they're bluffing will bet quickly. Um, and the second, and except on the river. On the river you got to be careful because a lot of people when they hit the hip and nuts in the river will throw the money in. And the other thing is, what are you doing with your eyes? You know, when how how many times do you blink when you hit the flop big and these kinds of things? And, and there, there are some people to this day just don't have any faith that those things are real, but time and time again, you know, I see this happen, and I see people get picked off where they haven't been super tight. Um, I saw a very good friend of mine I was playing with get picked off twice because it was the only time, you know, whenever he was bluffing, it was the only time he'd ever blink three or four times. The way you glance at your chips, all these little things are very important. And just be aware of what you're doing. It can help you quite a bit.
1: Yeah, one tell that I've found useful, um, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, is when a person looks their own chips after the flop. Um,
0: That's been talked about so much that I, I think a lot of people fake that occasionally, but
1: I, it is quite... Oh, I, I play with people who don't I, know how to fake stuff, so... Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, as a
0: micro gesture, it's a useful thing. And, and honestly, I it's just watching people, how they play, when they're comfortable, and um, the game is which I've gotten a lot better at, but I still have a very short attention span. The game is to try and guess what people have when you're not in the hand. And if you really start to play that game, that's how you're going to pick them off two hours later or the next day. Um, Because you've watched their mannerisms, you've watched how they're going, you watch what they do, and then sometimes you'll just look at something and say, I don't know what happened, but his mannerisms have changed. Does that mean that he has nothing, or does that mean he has a monster? And you can kind of make decisions about this, very similar to the way that you know, there's a lot of people who only overbet shove the flop when they have a large draw. Okay, if you know that about them, you yeah, you can just make a poker shove decision about whether to call them. Um, this is the same kind of thing. So if you pay attention, you can start learning. And uh, this is not at all the only things in no limit, but you really, you know, like say I played at the 102040 Bellagio for three sessions, and uh, two of those sessions, almost the entire sessions, there was nobody who wasn't competent at the table. Um, so it really becomes a matter of when this guy 3-bets me, do I think it's real or not? Okay, let me re-steal. And doing that is where the profit is coming from. So just just something to think about um, as, as you transition to these live games.
1: Yeah, I uh, think it's an excellent little mini-game, because when pe- a lot of people who are transitioning from online to live are like, oh, it's so boring, and it's, you get so many hands. But if you play that game of, I'm not in this hand, but let me hand-read well and, and just concentrate, I, I think that it can keep you focused.
0: Yeah, it's just one of the, some of the things that you can do. Um, and then all the stuff like handling chips and all that, you, you can get you, know, you get good at that really quickly, so I, I don't think that stuff really matters. And then, you know, I, in, in high-stakes games at the Rio and this kind of thing, you're going to run into people who routinely 3-bet and 4-bet appropriately and do all those kinds of things. You're going to see a lot more triple barreling. Um so I guess oh, one, one bit of advice is if you happen to play really tightly, let's say you're normally used to uh, two four online, and you go in and you sit down and you buy in for two or three grand in a 140 game. So people do that, you know. And, or let's say you buy in in five ten. I'm going to get these guys and you buy in for two or three thousand, and it's a lot of money to you. Whatever it is, where it's it's more money than you're used to playing with, so you're going to have a, probably going to tighten up and do about do some of those things. If you find you fold it a lot, expect that someone's going to try and bluff you. Just okay. expect that that's going to happen because it's amazing how much. And if you play super tight for a day, the next day you go and one of the same people from yesterday is there, just expect them to fire some bluffs at you. you, you opening your calling ranges on the Turnham River there can really net you a lot of money.
1: Okay. Well, that was awesome. Uh, I think we're almost at an hour now, so I don't want to hold you any longer. Uh, did you have any other stuff to add, Bryce?
2: No I was I mean that was more than I hoped for honestly I mean, I think that's the sort of things like when i go when I switch to live like I'm thinking about like, oh, adjusting to you know how they're playing at the table, but how I'm actually presenting myself in terms of you know mannerisms or handling chips or you know how tight I'm playing and all of that like that's something that I hadn't even started thinking about so I mean at the stakes I play maybe it maybe doesn't matter as much, but it's a good thing to practice you know at one two. Two five as you move up to five ten, so
1: yeah, for sure, and now I'm all jazzed up to play poker, and <laughs> I just got back from <laughs> Vegas, so <laughs> gonna have to go to uh, Delaware Park soon, but uh, thank you very much for coming on, and such an awesome interview, Matt
0: thanks for having me. Good talking to you guys
1: okay thanks a lot to matt flynn for providing such an excellent interview tons of uh great tips there uh for live poker and whatnot uh be sure to check out his books uh especially as a an online six max book that he put out a little while ago small stakes no limit hold'em um and his other book that's everyone knows by now um but it's professional no limit hold'em is that right I think
2: that's professional no limit, maybe. I don't know. Okay,
1: but that's that's uh, a very well known one. Um, obviously not by us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read the
2: inside, not the outside. Um,
1: yeah, I don't. I don't have that book. I own Small Stakes uh, No Limit Hold'em, um, and it's an excellent book. So uh, definitely check that out.
2: Um, yeah, check us out. Speaking of checking out, check us out on Twitter at Badugi All Stars. Um, then I can show you the video, that picture that we looked at in the contest earlier, and then you can see, like, wow, these guys are comedic geniuses. <laughs> or not. Or not, yeah. Maybe we'll have our own caption contest. If you want to write a caption, submit it. I will pick one at random. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're not already, follow us on iTunes. Um, that way we can have more people listening to this garbage going forward, and that makes me happy. Exactly,
1: um, and speaking of going forward, uh, I'm going to be taking a, a hiatus and for an indefinite amount of time uh, from the podcast, uh, just to sort of focus on some other things, like the my buy-in to giving charity. I'm going to try to put in a lot of work with that um, or, or a similar charity, um, and some other things. Uh, so, um, I think I think you said you're going to try to continue.
2: I, I am. I want to test the the uh, the allegiance of our listeners and see whether they're fans of you or fans of me. So, <laughs> as much as our listenership drops, I figure it will go up. People, they're like, "Man, I just hate that guy." Yeah. So, should be fine. So, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I'm probably gonna. I might try a solo episode. I may bring in some people to do like guest hosting with me or whatever, and just kind of see what happens. Um, I just. Now that I have the reins, maybe we'll have a more regular schedule. Not that I'm blaming you for a lack of schedule, but I kind of am. All, um, right, all right. No, but we'll see. I mean, hopefully you'll be back and, you know, I mean, there's nothing more charitable than giving this podcast. What <laughs> I so I feel like it should fall into line.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that, you know, all those people who need help and the dogs and everything, that they should take a backseat to this podcast.
2: <laughs> I There's some... The way people post about this on Deuce is Correct, there's at least one person who feels a need to hear this podcast and so that it's giving that's true that's true it's not a it's not a buy-in but it's it's better than (laughs) that Um, but yeah if anyone has any thoughts on you know if they want to guest host with me or something like that send me an email nixon at nixonthegrouch.com or send me a dm on uh dc or whatever they're pms on dc oh sorry pms gosh whatever um, it's not like anything works on that site anymore anyway <laughs> um, well they do have still have those
1: giant fonts for the titles of posts um, which are
2: so big that you can't hear the intro audio <laughs> um, but anyway I, mean, that, I think that about wraps things up and then some
1: yeah definitely so, uh, so yeah thanks again to Matt Flynn um, and I'll be seeing y'all at some point uh, I will for be l- seeing you sooner yeah thanks for listening
2: this has been Tecmo Super Bowl Nick's in the grouch. See y'all later.